Taking a step back and understanding how we function as humans in communities, local and global, and, and trying to put that center stage of what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn, and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hello, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and it's my pleasure to be speaking today with Professor Sarah Mercer. She is Professor of Foreign Language Teaching at the University of Graz, Austria, where she's the head of English Language Teaching Methodology. Her research interests include all aspects of the psychology surrounding foreign language learning experiences, as well as the core purpose of education and the role of social emotional learning, well-being, and compassion in creating more human education systems. She's the author of many, many books and has read a great deal more, has been a principal investigator on various funded research projects, many at international levels, uh, and has recently published two books, Teach Wellbeing, from Oxford University Press, and another book on learner engagement from Cambridge. Sarah, it's a delight to be speaking with you again. Lovely to talk. Thank you for asking me to join you, Luca. It's nice to be here. Look, I always learn so much in our conversations. Uh, and I want to know what you've been learning recently. What is something that you've learned recently? God, I feel like I'm always learning. And I think that's the, the humility of when you get into this thing is that you realize what you don't know. And I, I constantly feel like I'm, you know, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or just feeling that I don't know anything. Um, it's the sort of scope of everything that I could learn that always is in front of you. Um, I suppose I can talk about the things that I've been getting excited about and interested in recently. And it, it comes back to some of the things that you just referred to is that I have got um, an interest uh, at the moment in trying to, and this is a response, I think to the pandemic crisis is to think about how we can put humanity in center stage of education mm. and that means not only the humanity that we exhibit and witness within the classroom so dealing with things like teacher-learner relationships but also um, dealing with um, developing learner empathy helping to reduce bullying and working on social equity issues within the classroom and so on so not just that element of 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 humanity within how we teach but also the humanity of what we teach mm. that when we've been talking about you know we talked a lot about social emotional learning I know you and I have both got a shared interest in that that we've spoken about before um that that's a massive part of it but I I have you know <laughs> you know that I have an interest in ecological theory yes. <clears throat> well complex dynamic systems and ecological theory and it is natural that when you extend an understanding of compassion from beyond the immediate, you start to look at humanity, you start to look at community, you start to look at global citizenship, you start mm. to look at ecological literacy. When you take compassion and you stretch it beyond the immediate, so you start looking outwards, you start looking at uh, compassion for local communities, national communities, but also then in terms of global citizenship and ecological literacy. So you start to, yeah. you understand that what it means to be human and the skills and the competences we should be teaching are much greater than, than just, you know, and that, that's yeah. not to, you know, you, social emotional learning is absolutely foundational in my view, and you need to be teaching empathy as a core competence. When yeah. you have developed that competency for empathy and compassion, it is natural that you start to stretch that beyond and you start you start to reflect on um, compassion for others in terms yeah. of people you've never met, you don't know. 
that because empathy and compassion have got sort of a cognitive and an effective element, there are two dimensions to this. It's not just about imagining how they feel. It's also got this cognitive element that you try to put yourself into somebody else's shoes. You try to stretch your perspective to see the world from their side. But yeah. I think the natural step in the, and, and all the things that have happened in terms of social justice in recent, particularly in this last year, have drawn attention to the fact that I think there is a, a need to incorporate a cognitive critical thinking element to that, where we bring people to that stage, and, and myself included, where you start to reflect on why things are the way they are. You know, yeah. who has voice, who does not have voice, where is the privilege? And that, that's actually, for me, a natural extension of empathy. It's just extending that critical, it's extending that cognitive component of empathy, but developing it into some form of critical thinking and critical reflection that's going to take you down a human a humanity path, but with a sense of critical awareness about how ecologies and structures um, create conditions. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen, of course, that really play out uh, on the streets, in fact, in some parts of the world um, after the last 12 months, as remarkable as they have been. Um, of course, you know, a, a gentle prompt question like that, Sarah, with uh, someone with your mind, we can go anywhere with that answer, of course. I want us just to just to take us into this world because, of course, you're exploring lots of big ideas, teacher well-being, you know, motivation and learner engagement, for example, mindset, um, well, yeah, all these kind of other concepts. Um, take us first, what's the difference between empathy and compassion as you see them? Because for some mm -hmm. people, not, that distinction isn't well defined and, you know, the kind of affective and the cognitive elements of those. Uh, but then also talk about what, why does this matter now? What's the big ideas that mm -hmm. we need to shift here? Because one of the dangers, of course, is we, we entered 2022 and we've all just kind of gone back to the way things were. And clearly, if we look at the data, uh, it wasn't serving everyone. And frankly, the system, the way the system was designed, a complex system like education, you know, there was a really significant shift in paradigm that might be required. Mm -hmm. I think I have to respond to that first because you've just like ticked my boxes. So I have to go to this one first. So um, sure. I think um, the, the move, the development that happened with things like 21st century skills and social emotional learning, and I'm going to say something, I'm going to put my neck out a little bit here, um, was massively important because it was already a recognition that the, the education system was flawed, that there was a problem, yeah. that it was out of date, that there was need to make some remedy. But I think one of the problems is, um, and I'm not saying that there's an easy solution to this, is that we're in danger of just making kind of Band-Aid solutions and just putting little fix things on a much bigger problem and I think what we need globally nationally individually is we need a sense of courage to re radically rethink mm. what we mean by education going back to the big philosophical questions what is the purpose of education and why you know what why are we sending kids to school what is it you know, yeah. what are they supposed to you know and that means rethinking academic subjects but if you rethink academic subjects you have to think rethink uh, teacher training you have to think the whole system through you can't and that's one of the mm. lessons we learned from talking to the people in Finland is you can't just tweak a little bit of the system and get a satisfactory solution it needs to be coherent all the way through yeah. and i have a, a sense that um 
people are, you know, the, the, this, what we've recognized is that teaching global skills and they're in most curricula now in a transversal way. So these global skills of eco-literacy, citizenship, um, well-being, emotional regulation, all those kind of things. Yeah, the, C, the four C's, the six C's, or however they're articulated. I, yeah. You know, I think we've I think we've moved beyond the four C's because I think that was recognized that the problem with that is that's very much about preparing people for the workplace. And what we now understand is we need to prepare people for life. A much bigger issue and that's where you get to things like well-being and social emotional regulation mm. and eco-literacy and so on and we've got to get learners you know our many societies not all many societies are individually oriented they're competitive and we've got to get learners to step away and see a sense of the collective and i know it's really fashionable to say this but we've got to move from me to we I know it's a fashionable mm. statement and it's everywhere at the moment, but it's true. And, it, and we, we yes. need to develop that sense of collective shared humanity and responsibility. And I don't think that can be done with a quick Band-Aid fix on the education system we've currently got. I think we can make little tweaks and changes that we are hoping that are going to improve matters. And that's what the 21st century schools were all about. It was a, an admission that there was a fault in the system. And that's why mm. we introduced global skills. But what we really need, if we're truthful, is we need to radically rethink how we go about education and how we, you know, not just adding things to the to the traditional academics. And I'm not saying that we get rid of uh, academic learning and literacy. That's all still very valuable. But we have to rethink what what schooling looks like um, quite fundamentally, I think. I got away from where you started me, but no, it's absolutely. I'm, I'm just, me, I'm right here with you. <laughs> I mean, because I think, I think talking about something like compassion uh, mm. is is of course it's beyond kind of skills for the new workforce. This is what we're talking about here: is how do we build a kinder, gentler, more connected world, uh, and how do we live in that world in a way that we can sustain ourselves. Um, within the particular planetary boundaries. You know, and you and I are both big fans of Professor Kate Raworth's work on donut economics, you know, social foundation, mm-hmm. you know, ecologically ce- ecological ceilings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really feel that all of this is somehow, it's interrelated. You've made the, qu- the case, you know, for the kind of individualistic paradigm, which is really economically tied to this idea of an individual academic paradigm in education systems, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... I suppose I'd love you to reflect on like what what are the big and I don't want to say levers because as soon as we say that we're in the mechanistic world right mm. um, you know what are the conditions what are the features of the emerging learning ecosystem or the, the emerging learning communities or learning villages even which might be the new articulation for schools you know in 2040 who knows mm-hmm. um, what are those features that you think we really need to pay attention to now that you've already alluded to going beyond this kind of transversal skills, you know, into the idea of kind of character disposi- attributes or mm-hmm. dispositions or traits even, mm-hmm. although traits is a little tricky because are they fixed, are they developmental? So, yeah, what, what would you say across all the expertise that you have in this space? What are those kind of key conditions that we need for the future of learning in a way that can help us to heal the planet? Um and also solve some of the issues around employability and you know, social connectedness and mental health and well-being, which are really at epidemic levels in, in a lot of the developed world in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I suppose that's why I started with compassion. And, and I'm, I'm at the beginning of that journey myself because, as you know, I'm interested and I'm writing about it at the moment. But I'm as I always, when you learn about something, you it's like opening a can of worms. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> start yeah. reading and writing unknown unknowns course. yeah <laughs> and then off I go down the rabbit hole for six months and then disappear so um but I think for me the reason I chose to focus on compassion is I have got I don't I don't think this needs to be political. This is about humanity. And compassion exists in most major religions in the world. It's not tied to a specific culture. It's not tied to politics. It's about humanity. And it really puts mm. humanity at the core of things. And teaching learners, so you asked earlier about empathy and compassion. So empathy is being able to take that perspective. And, and you know, there's lots of different views on this. So, you know, this is my take is, Empathy is about being able to imagine the world from somebody else's position. It's be able to imagine how they feel, imagine how they think. And compassion is that building on the empathy is you then have a sense of drive that you want to take action and you feel empowered to do so. So what we don't want is, you know, eco guilt and a sense of shame about the state of social equality. We don't want to develop those emotions without a sense of empowerment yeah. of action. So I think agency mm -hmm. is hugely important. We've talked, I know that you and I have talked about agency before, that empowering learners to feel that they can make a contribution is a massive part of that. And when yeah. you develop, <clears throat> when you develop a sense of compassion, it has to be accompanied by pathways for action. So that learners feel that they have got, they, it, it can never be prescribed. You can never prescribe to somebody how they are going, but you can give, you can open to them vistas and opportunities and mm. possible pathways that they can follow. And so I think for me, if we start with compassion, let's, let's, let's do it as an ecological model. You start with compassion for the self that you're kind to yourself, that you understand your own needs, that you understand how to be forgiving to yourself. There's a new mm. book coming out by Kirsten Neff, and I so love the title, I can't tell you. And I haven't read it yet because it's not available, but it's called, <laughs> and I love this, get this, it's called Fierce Compassion. Yeah, and cool. I love that. It's the idea that compassion can also be fierce. You can be advocating. Yeah. You can be assertive. And I think that's mm. perhaps some of the misunderstandings that some of the, you know, the, the notion of compassion, that it's just soft and fluffy, not at all. Because yeah. it has a cognitive component, because you're asking people to think and reflect and be critical, and you're empowering them with a sense of, of, of agency. Um, I, I, and I love this notion of fierce compassion, that you can empower people to be assertive, to advocate, um, and to take action. So you start with the self and then you, you look at your community, you look at the classroom, you look at the relationships in the classroom, you look at the, if you see, I like the word that you used before this notion of community. Community can be within the classroom, it can be within the school, it can be within the, the, the location, the locality. You can talk about a national community, you can talk about a community of, I don't know, SEL scholars, you, sure. can, you know, you can, yes. there's all sorts of communities. And you can talk about a global community and you can talk about issues on that level. And I think when you start local and you develop that sense of responsibility, but also empowerment and this sense of, of collective identity and understanding that we are sharing um, communities and that our actions impact on others, that understanding is a starting point when you experience that locally to be able to step up from that and to consider it on a more global level. Um, you don't, mm. you know, it's like with all these things, you start where the learner is or you start where the teacher is. You don't start where you would like them to go. You, you start where they are and you take it a step at a time and all education and all interventions have to do that. You can't start with some ambitious 
frame, you start where the individual is and you move with them step by step. Mm. It really seems to me that that's, that's one of the clear articulations about a system that's truly human is that it's deeply responsive to the needs of the humans in the community, the village, the school, the company, the organization, whatever, the department. Uh, and the other features that you spoke to, the idea of, um, and I just wish I could disagree with you, but clearly, I mean, agency really as maybe the key feature of uh, you know, powerful learning systems um, into the future. You know, the idea is can, can you have one system, 10,000 journeys happening within it, all self-determined in partnership with educators, with industry, with parents and caregivers, uh, guided by policy. You know, I, I really think that's a powerful articulation. Mm. The idea of this, the sausage maker model, to quote Yong Zhao, you know, it's, it's, he's, quite, he's quite direct on the system in his view. And, and of course, we've all inherited the system. And it's not that, you know, it's as if there's a, this articulation that we move from the grammar of schooling to the language of learning, I think is part of this transition. Mm -hmm. What could it look like for everyone to actually map their own goals and then have every support required within that community and they can use their agency to powerfully choose the path forward into employment, into further training, into education, into the workforce, mm -hmm. into community groups that they care about, into causes that they want to be connected to. Mm -hmm. This idea like of moving beyond the kind of passive recipient to the active co-creator, I think is a really powerful way to think about the emerging future of education systems and frankly, of organizations, you know, writ large. The idea of motivation design or self-determination theory that you know more about than even me. Um, you know, I really think these are the new foundations. And the sad thing is we're talking about them as if they're new. There's been people working on this for decades, even Jean Piaget, or Paolo Freire, you know, like Maria Montessori. You know, these articulations have been around for a very long time, but I, I, I don't know if it's like the, the context or the milieu or whatever it is, the economic background that has just prevented us from being courageous, as you say, Sarah. You know, so what's, what are the bright spots that you see? Like if you were to t look, think about the education system, where do you think there are some emerging things that we should look at and go, oh, this is really interesting. How do we... How do we support this, amplify it, elevate it, embed it, mm -hmm. and then bring in another component? And I think there are lots of individual schools and individual educators doing the most fantastic work because they've already embodied that ethos and they live it in how they teach to the maximum they can. We're all constrained by the system that we're in so that, you know, any any ecology creates boundaries and it, it inhibits and facilitates different things. But we have got agency within that to make choices. Sometimes those mm. choices are restricted, but like in a complex dynamic system, it doesn't mean there are infinite possibilities, but there are possibilities within a range, if you like. Yeah. And so that yeah. doesn't mean that people, so people have got choice. And I think there are a lot of educators doing things about empowering learners, working with project-based yeah. learning, um, differentiation not according to the book that you tick it off but differentiation as really understanding the individuals in the class and giving them voice and making sure that everybody's heard and people working on you know the social emotional competences and pro-social classrooms where they're really trying to support the notion that individuals feel a sense of responsibility and care for each other and that they develop an understanding um, of 
of otherness in all its forms. And so I, th- I think that is happening. But but for me, it's not it's not happening top down. It's happening bottom up. It's it's mm, it's it's a grassroots movement. There are teachers who are yeah. doing it. There are individual schools that are doing it. There are institutions that are doing it. There are people that we know that are advocating for it and doing it. So I think it is happening at that level. But I think that the discourse on the policy level is 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 more discourse and action because there's a lot yeah. to overcome. And so maybe this is one of those things that's going to come from the bottom up. Maybe this is something where there will come a tipping point of change from below and it will come from a grassroots movement and it will come from individual educators who will make the difference. Because teachers, to use your favorite, teachers are change makers. Mm. Teachers can make the difference. And I think when teachers are empowered, when they're given autonomy and agency, when their well-being is attended to, that they are are treated yeah. as respected professionals and given the space to be the professional that they can be, then they can do wonderful things to empower learners and themselves and their schools and the future of their communities. Um, mm. So I, I, I think education systems are going to be slow to change because they're big and there's a lot of restrictions on them. But I think actually there's a lot of positivity to look at in terms of what individual educators and schools are already doing. It's, we had um, Dr. Santiago Rincon Gallardo on this podcast recently as well. And he has a wonderful, uh, I'm not sure if you know his work, but he talks about you know, transforming education as a social movement. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of, you know, the community school, right? And it starts as one school and then the communities co-own and kind of co-run and they build into this kind of movement that then tips over the system. The system absorbs it and therefore needs to adapt to it. I mean, it's a really interesting way to think about how change might happen because, you know, we can all easily enough point fingers at policy or a document or a syllabus or curriculum or pedagogical frameworks, whatever, initial teacher education, that's easy to do and sometimes not all that helpful. The question is, what's the pathway for us to collectively respond? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really am interested in this idea is that, you know, bottom up, top down, middle out, which yeah. of course is another articulation in educational leadership, um, you know, from Fulan and others, I think, um, Hardgraves perhaps. But yeah, the idea that, you know, how do we kind of liberate systems, right? So we can have, we can fully fully use the potential that we have as people within a system, as educators, as school leaders, as parents that care deeply about their children. And yet sometimes we're all in the way of ourselves and each other. Um, what do you think, if you could change two things, Sarah, about the way that education takes place across our world today, right? And I mean, the pandemic has changed a bunch of things about it. But what, what would those two things be? What are two things that no longer serve us that you think are kind of anchored in the past paradigm that we just, you know, as, you know, talk about economists, as Milton Keynes would say, it's not, it's not so much the new ideas, it's letting go of the old ones. Yeah, that's, that's the difficult right. part. I think so what do we need to let go of? I think we need to let go of these traditional school subjects and boundaries between school subjects. I think that's, that's completely gone. I think these ideas where we look at projects and we look at the skills and competencies you develop in learning. So it doesn't mean that you don't learn history. It just means you learn it in the context of doing a project where you maybe have history and geography and language and mathematics, and you develop understanding of competencies in project work that is 
um, real world, authentic base. It's empowering, it's active, it's engaging, it's about agency, and it brings in all these skills. They have to collaborate, they develop digital literacy, they develop presentation skills, they develop a sense of compassion and empathy and understanding, depending on what they're working on. So letting go of these very narrowly defined, and it, it, it's already happening. I mean, it's already happening in some parts of the world, but I think letting go of traditional academic subjects and the narrow confines that in many systems they still exist as very separate discrete entities I think that would be empowering to a, a, a more contemporary understanding of competences and skills that learners need to develop but that's a massive change because that has to be mm. think you know teacher education it means there are teachers in the system who have to completely learn new sets of skills so nobody wants to be the one to make that change because it's massive and it has a huge impact throughout you know from pre-service but also those that are still in service and so on so I think that's one thing I would love to see changed um although I know that that would be you know that's uh, mm. probably an unrealistic and I would like it to, to be much more oriented towards um, what it means to flourish in society collectively. I'd like education to be focusing on what it means for individuals to flourish, you know, but also what it means collectively to flourish, you know, and this idea that the individual cannot be flourishing if it's at the expense of others. Yeah. Um, there's something there's something not right about that equation. I mean, you cannot have individual flourishing when the collective is not able to flourish. Um, and there is a degree of idealism in what I'm saying. I mean, the conversation we're having is imagining an idealism. So there is an idealism yeah. and there's a lot to to, to Don't apologise for it. I think no, no, that's exactly what we're talking Gosh, I would yeah, never apologise for having an idealistic <laughs> conversation in education. I've got to think, no, it's our sense of idealism when talking about education than we're in trouble. done for. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think those, that's certainly things that I would like to see changed. Is like that. And of course, testing. I mean, everybody knows that testing is an enormous pressure on the kids on the schools and um i understand that there needs to be some sense of accountability there needs to be some way of ensuring that learners are gaining the skills and competences that they are needing to gain and there needs to be a sense of accountability within a system i don't think anybody can, but there are very very different ways of doing that than the kind of standardized testing that we're going through that many places mm. are going through currently that doesn't serve the purpose of formative learning and um, yeah. it just doesn't, is not always a demonstration of competence either. Yeah, and likewise, doesn't serve the educators and their professional yeah, knowledge or anybody. expertise either. No. <laughs> I'd love you to just share some of your work from the world of teacher wellbeing. I think right now, wellbeing has become rightly so and long of, you know, really shining a light on well-being has has been critical because we have of course you know the waves of the pandemic but we also have the waves of mental health and isolation and increased anxiety and, and depressive disorders which are also following you know this blast radius idea um after after kind of the waves of the actual virus itself so i mean so well-being are critical always has been um and lots of focus on it what's your insight on the connection with teacher well-being um and how do we develop that now more than ever before? Because it matters more than ever before. So, so you know, this is one of my hobby horses. So I'll have a little rant about this. So um, teacher well-being is like hugely important and it has been so neglected and it still is. <clears throat> Even after, you know, everything that has happened and what teachers have had to go through and are still going through this past year 
And really and truly, it's at the best lip service from the majority of politicians and leaders about what teacher well-being means. Because teacher well-being has to be understood as, yes, there are things that the individual can do to work on their own well-being. But that is not the end of the story. They are constrained by the system that they're in. And there are structural things that have to change. And we cannot, a little bit of a problem with positive psychology because of its heritage. And that's not, that's not, is you cannot place this responsibility for well-being solely on the teacher and the individual. That's just outsourcing the problem. And it's Mm. not to say that individuals are not able to make a difference to their well-being. They can, they have got the agency to make changes. But they, we cannot ignore the fact that there are structural problems. And if teachers are being overworked, um, that that's a fact. That's something the system has to change. So I think it's about looking at structural change um, as well as looking at what individuals can do. And I think we also need to um, decouple mental health and teacher well-being. Teacher well-being is about being able to flourish in your professional role. It's about having a sense of... of um, job satisfaction and mental equilibrium mental health disorder is a whole other issue now well-being contributes to mental health and mental health obviously contributes to well-being but there are different issues and the Mm. mental health conversation that needs to happen is a whole other conversation that we need to be having because in many parts of the world and I certainly think where I am here in Austria mental health is still somewhat of a taboo and we don't give it the space and we don't allow people to talk about it comfortably that it needs. So I think that conversation also needs to be happening. Um, but yeah. I think we have to be careful not to, to, to confuse the two issues. I think teacher well-being is one issue in the professional role. And I think mental health issues is something that society, um, looking at also school kids, particularly at the moment, and particularly as a follow on of what's going to happen. I think there are going to be and there's a need for more people to address those issues professionally. I think mm. teacher well-being is about respecting teachers as professionals and treating them as professionals, giving them the space and the resources to be the best educators they can be and taking yeah. them as a key stakeholder in the system seriously and not exploiting and using them for, um, for their own purposes without understanding that if you don't care for your teachers, you've completely missed the point of the most valuable resource in your education system. Hmm. I did say I'd have a bit of a rant about that if you get that. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure any teachers listening to this would be uh, nodding along vigorously or fiercely, we might even say, Um, because it does matter. And this, I think, is this brings us back to, I think, a lot of what we've spoken about in the podcast, which is this idea of, you know, making our system more human, making the experience more human, and we can take different lenses for that, you know, from different traditions, you know, well-being, life, lifestyle medicine, you know, mental health, positive psychology, social emotional learning. Um, but yeah, that really it's incumbent on all of us to, yes, take our individual responsibility seriously and also ensure that we are shaping the systems in which we function and advocating Um where, uh, fiercely, compassionately, <laughs> but fiercely um, for the change that might be required. I, I'd love, Sarah, you know, again, we could explore so many different roles here. But if you had to, if you had to share, you know, something that you're really f- focusing on or, you know, a take-home message for those that have listened to this conversation, what is it that you want to share um, with these hardworking educators, parents, entrepreneurs, innovators, whoever they happen to be? Um. I um, 
it's really hard to you know there's so many things that that are but I think it's about putting the humanity back at the center of the education system and that's putting the humanity back in how we teach so in the classroom the, uh, the the testing system the assessment system procedures the curriculum putting the humanity in how we teach and putting the humanity in what we teach teaching the competences for life and compassion and uh, a sense of eco-literacy and so on. So really taking a step back and understanding how we function as humans and communities, local and global, and and trying to put that center stage of what we do, um, how we do it and and why we do it. Um, I think that would be my, my take home. Professor Sarah Mercer, it's always a delight to speak with you. Thank you for joining The Learning Future. Thank you for asking me to come and chat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.